0: Well, thank you. Welcome to our 100th episode of Bandwidth Blog On Air and we're kicking off our tech discussion today with Hadley Simons of Meme Hadley, thank you very much for joining us. It's great to have you finally on the show. No, no, thank you for having Pleasure me. Pleasure to have you here. I think we'll, uh, we'll kick off directly speaking about smartphones and, and mobile tech. Uh, we've had a very interesting year in 2017, talking about a variety of product categories and perhaps none have been more interesting than watching smartphone design evolve a great amount in a very short space of time. Yeah. So let's kick off our discussion, what can we expect from smartphones in 2018?
1: So I think we'll, we'll see more of the uh, 18 by 9 displays because that's been a pretty huge um, thing this year. We've seen LG do it, Samsung do it, even the, the cheaper Chinese manufacturers do it. Um, I'm expecting, so that, that's that been fantastic I mean, I went back to the iPhone 8 Plus And it's quite wide in comparison to the S8 So I think that the ergonomic benefits there are, are, are fantastic um, And then two other factors that I think will be really big Or not, maybe not big, but will definitely, you'll see some uh, At least the first factor is AI chips We've seen uh, Huawei do it and Apple to an extent do it Google to an extent do it with a, with a Pixel visual core, so chips that accelerate uh, machine learning for offline machine learning or, or that sort of thing. And then the third factor, which I think is going to be a, a very underrated factor, is that uh, budget phones are going to be way more powerful uh, than they've ever been, uh, purely because the, the cores that are used by budget phones, the CPU cores, will be getting an upgrade for the first time in about three or four years.
0: I think you've hit the nail on the head there and to maybe unpack what you mentioned first there well first <laughs> uh, what really surprised me this year and hadley you've covered this really well in an article up on Gearburn which i encourage all of our listeners to go and read <laughs> is the sense that 18 by 9 phone design really took off this year and it surprised me because i didn't think we'd see it erupt so quickly i imagined you know we had the the xiaomi mi mix which was perhaps the first Bezelless phone that really hit the headlines yeah. uh, in, in a measurable sense, and I thought, you know, well, that's a concept phone. We're not going to really see that in reality in a while. And yeah, same for me. And precisely. And then all of a sudden, we have the Galaxy S8, the LG G6 uh, in the reverse order, of course. Uh, and it seems now this is a, a thing you have to say. And perhaps what's most exciting is the fact that budget or entry-level Chinese manufacturers are adopting this display uh, ratio as well, which I think is particularly fascinating and it'll hopefully mean, I th- I feel, that that display ratio might come down to the mid-range or budget end of the market. Yeah. Tianis, what do you think?
2: Um, yeah, Brian. So I, c- I completely agree with that. I think um, we, we've already seen that starting to happen with the, with the lower to mid tier devices, starting to get the screen ratio with the likes of LG with the Q6, kind of porting that down to their mid tier uh, device. And I think it might be a pretty good seller in South Africa, especially with them um, kind of p- throwing in the, the watch style in, in, in that deal. And I think um, going forward in 2018, it will become ubiquitous. I think um, it will have to be a really, really low-end device before uh, that won't have that screen ratio and i think it has a lot to do with uh, manufacturing and and the way that they actually build these devices uh, and they build these screens i mean if if the demand is going that way they're just going to keep building those devices and those uh, screens at that resolution because it just makes uh, more sense in terms of manufacturing and 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 keeping the costs down so i don't think we're going to see 16 by 9 screens in in a couple of years time they should be all but data i think it'll be interesting to watch the evolution
0: of this and speak To the second point, Hadley raised. Here's a fear I have. Before you do, though, before you do,
1: though, sorry. Um, The interesting thing is, I was checking up uh, MediaTek's uh, budget chips, the P series, that were announced, the P23 and P30. And they specifically support a maximum resolution of 2160 by 1080 which is the 18 by 9 resolution. So I would not be surprised to see dual cameras and 16 by 9 phones in the mid-range uh, next year.
0: That actually leads me to another point that is, is sort of concerning me in the smartphone industry, is that we've seen AI chipsets debut in a number of plays. We've got Apple's A11 Bionic, we've got the Kirin 970 from Huawei, and as Hadley alluded to, Google's got its own sort of uh, AI neural processing platform for uh, image specifically and something that 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 perhaps at the Huawei Mate 10 Pro launch worried me slightly is the fact that Huawei punted often and loudly the fact that developers could get on and board with this chipset now we already have the problem with Android skins and fragmentation never mind getting an Android update and what concerns me is are we arriving at a space with mobile chipsets where every manufacturer is going to demand developers to optimize specifically for their devices and obviously this is easier to do for, you know, companies that have somewhat of a monopoly on the market like Samsung and Huawei in certain smartphone markets. But I do wonder, are we sort of misleading or, or heading in the wrong direction with mobile AI? Because I feel that this is, could be an improvement that could holistically improve smartphones and not sort of be segmented between brands.
1: Um, I from my side, I think uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting because it seems like kind of like when dual cameras first became a thing, and even now you still see every manufacturer has their own kind of take on dual camera systems, give or take. And you don't really see Android apps that take advantage, third party, so to speak, that take advantage of you know the dual camera stuff. So it's I see a few parallels there as well because. Um, Although the the one advantage, I suppose, is that uh, Huawei, for example, um, is using Google's TensorFlow and uh, a couple of other open platforms. Um, I'm not sure how hard it'll be then for developers to create um, uh, AI-related content uh, across various AI-enabled devices. Um, But I think at least from that point of view, comparing it to how dual cameras have proliferated, I think it'll be probably a little bit easier but I'm not a developer, so it's, it's like I would say the jury's still out.
0: I think let's touch on a point you raised there, Hadley, about dual cameras, and that's perhaps the other thing that's caught on in, in smartphone design. Uh, I'm still not really stalled on what the ideal implementation is. I think OnePlus had a really good idea with the OnePlus 5T, although we haven't had that in our hands in South Africa yet in that a smartphone could have one primary lens and one low-light lens. I think that speaks to a fundamental problem in smartphone photography. What are your thoughts? Do you think there'll be a clear-cut winner in the future or do you think varying camera setups will always be sort of the
2: marketing punt behind each brand? I think that the more the merrier. That's kind of my, my, my feeling always when it comes to consumer technology. And I'd love to see different companies kind of go through, uh, go to different paths and, and, and try to perfect that, that technology. I mean, uh, uh, for me personally, and this is obviously a very subjective opinion, but I, I very much prefer um, the secondary wide angle lens. Um, and I think that LG have done a brilliant job at doing that with the G6 in the first place. And then what we saw with the, uh, with the V30 as well. Um, I, that, that I, I just think that adds so much to your your camera um, capabilities in terms of just finding that great shot because uh, it just gives you a whole whole new view of the world, and um, they've done a great job at at restricting at restricting that that f- uh, fish eye kind of effect that we had um, with with other wide angle lenses in the okay. past. In uh, in terms of the other um, solutions, I think Huawei have done a great job with the the monochrome solution. I think it adds a lot of detail to their their well-lighted shots. Um, as you rightly said, Brian, I think it doesn't help too much with, with low light shots. And I think um, even though I don't believe the 5T solution will be the standard going forward, it, uh, for me still in, uh, in smartphones today, the, the biggest problem is is the low light. So I would love to see those shots actually um, jump in leaps and bounds in 2018. And I'm hoping that will be, that'll be the biggest step forward. And I think it's not going to come through hardware. It's going to come through software.
1: Yeah, I, I 100% agree with uh, TNS with, uh, regarding, you know, the low light uh, being the biggest problem and, you know, the variety being the spice of life. I mean, I initially I really loved the Huawei P9 setup and, the you know, now the P10 setup. Um, just purely because, well, they claim that it helped with low light But I also uh, just enjoyed it for the refocusing and that sort of thing um, And after using the G6, I really enjoyed the wide-angle camera setups as well Because at meant you could get shots that you just couldn't get with other phones, you know um, So I really enjoyed that But um, I do kind of wonder, with computational photography and algorithms uh, being such a big thing these days Whether we might see, like, a normal, uh, maybe a, a telephoto camera and a wide-angle camera Uh, then using sensor fusion so to speak to you know create a normal photo so to speak so um, that's kind of like my pipe dream I guess Um, but at the moment I I just think that's kind of like what I'd like to see but uh, for now I'm I'm happy with the divergent solutions
0: I think that's actually a, a fantastic point and it speaks to a point I wanted to raise Uh, You know, I look at the moment in smartphone design and we're at a place where only maybe a few brands are starting to use AI or or, uh, machine learning to improve the quality of their photos or leverage the camera in an interesting way. And specifically, I look at, you know, smartphone layouts at the moment. And the thing that strikes me about cameras is that. There are certain things software can do and there are certain things hardware can do and now software can't necessarily improve the quality of an image when you zoom in on a phone for example or zoom out so you need hardware to support that. However hardware I don't think is particularly useful really when it comes to low light shot, uh, shots, I think you know software has a greater role to play there. And I sort of sort of wonder if, like you say, we'll see a convergence of these features in the distant future. Uh, and that's sort of my hope. I think the, the fusion uh, sensor idea you have there is is particularly novel, and that's the kind of setup I could see working in the future.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely not going to happen probably in the next year or two, but um, it's it's certainly something that would give you the best of both worlds uh, on paper at least. But it's it's a significant hill to 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 climb, so to speak. Um, and then you even you're even seeing I mean the likes of um, Huawei and uh, you know Google and all these guys like just using you know various machine learning algorithms or just traditional software processing to to create create things out of you know in Google's case a single camera so think um, I still expect single cameras to be to be around for for a long time as well because you know, sometimes two isn't better than
0: one. Uh, I guess. <laughs> I think we can pivot to another interesting topic that segues quite nicely from this, and that we've had an interesting year in technology. In so far as product categories are concerned, we've spoken a whole lot about AI, um, virtual reality, augmented reality made a big splash at the beginning of this year, and that sort of fizzled out as brands haven't really made a strong play in it. <laughs> uh, mobile is still around; we don't expect that to die, and tablets are limping on through the iPad. Now, Hadley, what do you think the big tech categories will be talking about in 2018?
1: Oh, I mean, everyone is trying to push virtual reality. Um, I do think that it's going to need a budget play to kind of become more mass market, but it's also not very social. So, you know, it might not be, a, a, I, I, don't, I don't think we've seen the apex of virtual reality at all, um, and I don't think it's going to be basically the equivalent of 3D, um, as, as bad as that was. But it's, I, don't, I think a lot of companies are, are pushing it in an unwarranted fashion. What I do expect to see maybe is more uh, AI-enabled wearables. Perhaps um, we've seen Google's Pixel Buds, which have the Google Assistant on board. So I wouldn't be surprised to see something like maybe Siri earbuds, or you know, or just standalone, or um, or that sort of thing. You know, like basically wearables that learn from you or are on hand to help you all the time.
2: Yeah, Hadia, I definitely agree with you. I think. Um as I said previously I think in 2018 we're gonna see the biggest jumps in software not Mm. in hardware Mm. and in terms of the 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 AI being plugged into basically every piece of consumer technology Mm. I think that's definitely gonna happen in 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 the next year or two and and I'm very glad to see that because I mean yes the the pixel buds was very much a kind of a a first-generation product if you want to call it that but I think they did a hell of a job to to get that translator working you know, decently, as, as as good as Google Translate can work. And, and I think that the solution is quite novel and I think it'll work very well going forward as they refine it. And, and the great thing about that is um, with Google Translate, they had to rely on a lot of people um, inputting text for them to make their, uh, their their translations better, and now with with voice being put into these these um, uh, these devices, they're going to get so much more valuable data, and I think it's going to mean that they can push the envelope in terms of having their translations uh, uh, more and more accurate in, in a much shorter time frame. So that's just one example of of where where uh, it'll be, you know, prolific in in kind of every single device you have on you. I mean, if you think you have your your smartwatch and you have your uh, obviously your 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 smartphone and you've got your laptop and maybe you've got a tablet and a smart tv and i mean it's it's gonna it's gonna start to be kind of everywhere and it and, and for some people it might give you that sense of um skynet but i think it's it's just gonna help humanity to be honest it's gonna make everything a lot a whole lot easier for for most of us
1: yeah i have, I also sorry. think it's sorry i also think it's going to get better before oh it's going to get worse in terms of the marketing around it i mean we've seen it with the cloud you know and and uh, those those sort of things so like everything is going to be like you know ai enabled we're going to see mobile smart ai enabled blockchain wearables you know, <laughs> it's, it's going to be crazy
0: i have two thoughts on this matter and both of them are quite different in one sense but they might interrelate is the first i think virtual reality that is probably the one matter I tend to agree with Apple on these days I think augmented reality will be the bigger play going forward and I think Mm. it's really up to giants like Apple and Microsoft to push that I think HoloLens will be the biggest idea we see first because at least from my perspective it doesn't seem like Apple have been able to carve out enough of a niche that A it can produce an augmented reality headset or some form of wearable and B tied into the iPhone to sell it well enough Uh, the second matter that I think is is particularly fascinating speaking about ai and wearables i don't think we've seen the end of wearables i think 2017's actually been quite a torrid year in terms of fitness trackers smart watches but i have a <laughs> feeling in the wearables we market we'll see a resurgence when wearables are transparent enough in the sense that one doesn't need to notice them you know the defining trait of a smartwatch is that someone sitting next to you can immediately pick out your wearing one and I kind of feel that's the fundamental problem, is that you, you feel so, quite self-conscious about wearing it, or it's too expensive to obtain. Yeah,
1: they should melt into your clothing,
0: essentially. Precisely, like Google's Project Jacquard is, is an interesting idea, making connected jacket. And Arguably, while I don't feel that's too useful at present, I think the idea in principle is a fascinating one, and I think that's really where we could see new wearable products emerge in the near future.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's 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 going to be one of, it's going to be exciting next year, I think, and uh, beyond just looking at kind of, you know, I think we've only started to think, I mean, you you mentioned uh, Google's uh, Project Jacquard and, um, you know, the amount of, you know, we've seen things like smart belts and all these kind of things at CES, uh, smart pens and all this kind of stuff. But I, I do think once that kind of and I think the initial hype has, has died off, and I think that's when you're going to see like the the meaningful innovation come once everyone kind of hops off the bandwagon and starts to really think about carefully how they can use a tech. And I think with AI uh, in particular, I think we we are on on a verge on the verge of that moment in a, in a sense.
2: I, I think you hit the nail on the head, there, Hadley. I think we are on the verge of something really cool. And and I mean on 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 the show, Brian and myself have. Uh, on a more than one occasion spoken about you know that sometimes it, it feels a little bit lethargic this industry and in, in, in the last year or two it might have felt like that like there was very little that has changed um it was all kind of small yeah. increments improving our different devices but i think w- we are kind of on the cusp of something <coughs> brand new and I, and i hope that you know it would be something more exciting than a freaking square apple watch <laughs> <laughs> to pivot to maybe another interesting area of technology that i think many
0: of us will be looking forward to exploring in 2018 and it certainly had a bit of a tumultuous year in 2017 is that of gaming now zaid executive editor of IGN, joining us for the third time on bandwidth blog on air welcome back zaid let's dive straight in uh, and let's unpack what do you think we'll see from gaming in 2018 and how do you think what's happened in 2017 will influence that
3: Well, what's happened in 2017 is going to have a major impact on on what happened in 2018. Um, But in terms of just like technical innovation and things like that, probably just more of the same. Um, Strangely enough, uh, even just the transition from the previous generation to the current one, uh, in terms of our gaming experiences, it was just like more of the same, but better. And I expect that trend to continue. Uh, But how 2017 is going to impact 2018 is less to do with the games themselves as such and more to do with Um, their design uh, as far as what features are okay and aren't. And I'm speaking specifically about, uh, in a long-winded way, what I'm speaking specifically about is this introduction of microtransactions and how they've really, really come to the fore in these last, say, two months uh, of 2017. Um, You you may or may not have heard, but there was a huge, a huge scandal regarding Star Wars Battlefront 2 um, and I, uh, you
0: know, when say, do, when you know when you pronounce it scandal, that's a big one. Yeah,
3: it's a, it's a big one. <laughs> no, it was definitely a big one. It's, it's, it's funny enough, it's the problem that that, um, that Star Wars Battlefront 2 highlighted isn't actually a new issue, but I think just because of the cachet of the Star Wars brand is what brought it to the fore and got it covered in publications such as the New York Times, the Washington Post. Uh, you know, it wasn't just relegated to the gaming uh, uh, journalism circles. Uh, but for those that maybe don't know, uh, what happened with with Star Wars Battlefront 2 was that uh, the publishing company that uh, that put it together called EA uh, decided to implement microtransactions and loot boxes uh, within the game. Now those aren't new things; they're quite common in mobile gaming, and they do feature in some of EA's other games. And in fact, in a, a lot of popular games already have them. Uh, Player unknown's Battlegrounds features them, uh, Overwatch is a, a huge proponent of it, and of course Dota 2 and games like League of Legends rely heavily on that as their business model. What made it different though, where, where Star Wars Battlefront took it into a whole other level, is they implemented a progression system within their game, uh, basically the, the way players would level up and become stronger and better in the game, and they... Kind of tied that heavily into this idea of microtransactions. They created a scenario where players would players would actually have to buy new um, uh, buy their way to becoming better. So it wasn't just a case of more play would give you new abilities. You uh, you would actually you could buy equipment that cost real money to be able to improve your game, and that created a situation where the game suddenly became paid to win. So if you had more money, you could buy better equipment and ergo, be better at the game. You were literally paying to be better. And that's bad enough on its own. But what made it worse is, is that it was never a case of you just buying a better gun or better defenses or a better spaceship or whatever. The mechanism for purchasing was actually done via loot box. So a loot box basically, you, it's like a lucky packet really. You'd buy something. Yeah, yeah you, you'd buy something, you wouldn't actually know what was in it. It may or may not have been something of quality, but the you know, the the money, the money that you spent remained the same for anything from $10 to $100. And you'd never actually know what you were getting. Um, So that added like an additional dimension. So how do you actually improve in the game? And it caused a huge, huge, as I said earlier, huge scandal. Up to the point where Disney, which owns the Star Wars brand, actually got involved. Um, And what we ended up was a situation that on the day of launch, the very day of launch, uh, EA took the decision to actually remove microtransactions from the game. Um, And yeah, that's the state that we are in now. I think going forward, there's going to be a lot more talk about how to actually implement the system into games. And uh, I think that's something that's going to stick with the gaming industry for a while.
0: I think I suppose at the end of the day it's really debated debate about around scale you know maybe I could be very wrong about this maybe either you Hadley or, or you Zed, can correct me on this but I mean 10 years ago when it came to gaming you know it was at the stage where it was enough for a developer to produce a game sell the game as one asset and then at least recoup their funds and make a profit from it I think now games are at the scale where you have this massive development team huge costs and it's not just enough to sell a game anymore there has to be some form of revenue model not that I'm agreeing I think the, the Star Wars Battlefront Two loot boxes are the right idea. However, it's it seems to me there's a console or at least a, a, a company that's sort of going in an interesting direction with this. They made a huge splash this year with the Nintendo Switch, which I'm not really a gaming a- aficionado as either. You are, either both of you are, but I think it's an interesting platform. Like it's really fascinating to have a, a real mobile console. And it seems to me Nintendo have sort of made huge waves this year by doing something differently to what PlayStation, Xbox or PC gamers are doing.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, on my side at least, uh, I don't know about you Zaid, but... um, I found the fact that I could play Skyrim on the go or even just having a current generation game like Doom on the console. Yes, the Nintendo Switch isn't as powerful as the PS4 Xbox One. It's pretty much, you know, kind of in between Xbox 360 and Xbox One. Um, If that, it's using old mobile graphics tech, you know. But uh, the fact that I could play these games on the go was really really fantastic. And uh, Breath of the Wild and the Nintendo Switch uh, that kind of launch period alone for me will be probably uh, one of my maybe my top three uh, gaming moments of the year. I'd have to say.
3: Yeah, I think the the you know I have to agree with that. The the Nintendo Switch which kind of let <laughs> not I wouldn't say let five, but it, it it it's one of those times where um, the technology the hardware actually changed how we were playing. Um, it is there is something fundamentally enjoyable about knowing that you can sit in your in your TV room or whatever and play this triple a high quality game on your television and then just ease just oh, I need to go somewhere now and then just take it with you um, and that was never you know, that was never something you could do before but I think the other thing also that Nintendo also proved with the success of the switch is that um, they were clever in two respects aside from you know implementing the whole uh, mobile aspect to it The other thing that they also did that was really clever is that they they drip-fed their um, games throughout the year. They didn't create a situation where... All of their games were suddenly available all at once. People complained a lot when the Switch you know the one complaint that people complained a lot about when the Switch launched was that, Oh, but there isn't a lot to play. There's just there's just Breath of the Wild. There's just Breath of the Wild and Snipper Clips and I think there was one um, other uh, one or two uh, Bomberman uh, oh, oh, yeah, not right. not mentioning
0: yeah. the Nintendo games where you had to milk a cow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no, Switch? Well, yeah
1: that's
3: <laughs> That, that's more an advanced tech demo than a game in and of itself. Yeah, it's but, like but yeah, there, there, yeah. <laughs> there was There was that complaint. Oh, there wasn't really a lot. But, you know, over time what we discovered is was actually a very smart play on their part because because there was only Breath of the Wild. If, if Memory Serves, that game had an attach rate of 105% or 110%. Yes, more people bought the game that, than the console. Yeah, yeah. More people had bought the game than the console because they knew they were going to get one. So that spoke to the quality of the game. But what also happened as a consequence of that is is that people had time to play that game. And once something new came out, they didn't have to choose. It's like, now enough time has passed. I've been able to save up more money. Now I can get uh, uh, Super Mario Odyssey or I can get ARMS. Yeah, yeah. They were quite clever in doing that. And they managed not only their own titles. They managed that same kind of drip feed system with with, uh, third third parties parties and so on. So the, they, they created a situation for themselves where you never had too many high-quality games out at the same time. So, you know, you had choices. So if you weren't playing that, if you had if you done playing one game, then Mario Kingdom, uh, Mario Plus Rabbit's Kingdom Battle was there for you or something. And and that really highlighted two things. was Number one, space your titles out. But number two is also just make a good game. And people Easier said than done, I guess, yeah. It's like, which, yeah, I know, which is, <laughs> uh, you know, easier said than done, but you don't have to add all these other gimmicks yeah. and microtransactions and all of these other things in there as well. Yeah, build if it and they will come. You add, it, yeah, you, you build it and people will come. And it's, it's you know, the evidence is right there. Um, and I think that's one of the important lessons to take away from Nintendo's success this year. In,
1: in saying so, I think probably I'm, sorry, sorry, Brian. My maybe, sorry, maybe my ahead biggest ahead. concern is um, maybe just next year if they will be able to maintain that same momentum because um, you obviously you've, you've you've Nintendo's apparently upped production to meet demand, and uh, you know there are a couple of games that you know Wolfenstein and uh, I think Metroid Prime, which might even be twenty nineteen. But I can't think off the top of my head what other games are coming out in 2018 for the Switch.
3: Yeah, yeah you know, that's, that is a very good point, but I don't think they really need to, you know, for next year, they don't need to see too many titles. They, they, you must remember the Nintendo Switch also launched at an unusual time. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. You
3: know, typically, typically, uh, video game consoles tend to launch uh, within about three months of the Christmas season. That's yeah. what you normally do. Um, you launch at that particular point in time, uh, so that you can get all the Christmas sales. And that's why you also need to have a lot of uh, choices as far as AAA games is concerned, and that's what you do. Um, this game launched in June, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, uh, March, June, March July. actually. March. Uh, yeah, March. Switch, yeah. Like, like, nobody launches a video game console in March. But it gave them, like I said, it gave them two things. It gave, no one, they weren't competing with anybody. Uh, they had a lot of space to be able to launch their games. And I think what you'll find now is is that they're probably going to do gangbuster business um, in Christmas. Uh, and they have, and now they've also given people a lot of titles that they can purchase from. But they don't have to worry about that sense of competition between the titles because they've already sold 6 million units of Breath of the Wild and 30 million units of this game and that game. So any additional sales they make now is a bonus. Um, and I think that will carry them through probably to about uh, until about E3, and then you get you can you can set up your next um, your next uh, blitz of games. You know when E3 comes around, you can say, "Oh, well, this is what we've got going now," uh, and that keeps people excited until the end of the year. And you you seed those launches, you know, post E3. I, I would guess. I mean, I'm not an an analyst. I'm not Michael Pacto or anything, but that that's my guess as to what their plan is. Um, yeah, right now they they you know like you, like you said, uh, had the There's you can't on the top of your head think of "Mm, what games are coming out for the switch next year, and I can't think of one. The only other big game coming out for them now is uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which is coming out in tomorrow. No, no, today's the 29th in two days' time, two, two, three days' time, and that's pretty much it. And then at some point next year is Wolfenstein 2, um, and then who knows. But I think, I think Nintendo will be fine, Uh, I think they'll be just fine.
0: The, the question I have speaking more about, you know, the, the Switch has a, has a very novel idea of sort of bringing a mobile element at least to traditional unportable or semi-portable console gaming. And my question is, you know, we're in a funny space now where we're probably not going to see another generation of console for at least possibly another couple of years. But do you think the success of the Switch and the way it's engineered will have an impact on gaming consoles themselves going forward? Or do you not see much of a divergence happening?
3: I've, I kind of flip-flop on this one. I mean, if you'd asked me yesterday, I would have given you one answer. Today, another one. You ask me again tomorrow, I'll, I'll probably give you another answer. Um, I, I the, the video game industry is very prone to copycat uh, uh, behavior. More so, I think, than any other industry. Um, more so than, than cell phones, you know, which is notorious for that kind of thing. And, But I think they've kind of learned from when, when the Nintendo Wii came out and motion controls was a thing. Uh, then everybody wanted that, or variation in that. And it didn't work. And the main reason it didn't work was because nobody really had a plan for what it is they wanted to do with this. So they were just doing what Nintendo did. And I'm kind of hoping that Xbox and PlayStation kind of learned that lesson and don't try and ape um, what Nintendo is doing by putting out their own version of this. But then, you know, if, like I said, if you ask me tomorrow, I think, my thinking is again, well, maybe they should do that because there's a lot of games on PlayStation. And I think to myself, hmm, I'm playing on now. This is great. I need to go to my mom. Wouldn't it be cool if I could just take this game with me? Kind of thing. <laughs> so it's, I flip flop on it. You know, on the one hand, I, I would love for all my games to have that measure of portability. And then the other end, I think to myself, maybe just leave Nintendo to do their thing and Sony, you do your thing. Uh, and and leave it at that. But,
1: uh, yeah, I flip-flop. Ask me tomorrow, I'll change my mind. I think, I think
0: Nintendo's... <laughs> and yourself, Hadley?
1: Yeah, I think Nintendo's um, always been, uh, like you say, you know, they've always been left to their own devices. They've always bucked the trend. You know, the the heavyweights say, hey, we'll go the graphical route, and they say, no, it's fine, we'll just go with Waddle. You know, they... Uh, so it's... Um, they, they kind of buck the trend always. But what I could see kind of um, perhaps from... Um, Sony and Microsoft is maybe, uh, I don't know how feasible this would be, but just to have the Xbox One X and PS4 Pro, but I wonder what are the odds that they would be able to, you know, essentially um, take the chips in their base hardware and um, prepare a portable consoles. So essentially you get a portable Xbox One X or Xbox One, uh, you still have the Xbox One X, you still have the more powerful chips all the time and all that kind of stuff or the more powerful consoles but then the base console always kind of off to say four or five years or, you know, on the market gets a, a portable version, so to speak. Um, it's it's not completely unheard of. We've seen uh, the Sega Nomad, I think. Uh, the, the, was yeah, it the Mo- correct, Nomad yeah. or the Game Gear? And then we've also seen... No- Nomad. The Nomad. Yeah, the the yeah, Sega yeah.
3: Nomad was, was uh, an, a portable an exact mega drive. technical
1: repeti- It was a portable Megadrive, yeah. Yeah. The horrible and battery life. <laughs> yeah. And then I mean we've also seen we've also seen um, to an extent it wasn't powered by itself I mean uh, you know it didn't have internal batteries but like you look at the PlayStation remember the PS one that had a lid the LCD screen as well so you know you you get those type of portable kind of play plays but not quite portable so I could see you know it's going to be a technical challenge to do though but. Um, that is one alternative, but otherwise I, I do foresee the likes of Sony and Microsoft sticking to like every three years launching a console and eventually dropping support for the base console, I guess.
0: My, my last question as we come into the final few minutes of this uh, of our final episode is what specifically are you most looking forward to seeing in 2018? What's the one thing that you both of you uh, Zaid and Hadley are, are really, really looking forward to, can't wait to get your hands on in 2018, whether it be hardware, a gaming title, or, or anything in general?
3: I've, I... I... I'm quite keen to see the price of 4K televisions dropping. I was quite impressed with the uh, with the recent Black Friday sales that happened. I, there was a Hisense 4K TV which I think was under 4,000 rand at the time, and I know that's an, you know obviously, obviously that's Black Friday. That's not the normal price or whatever. But I'm quite keen to see that happen. I think there is uh, when you look at the uh, the likes of the Xbox One X and so on. I think there is a necessity. To move towards uh, 4K now, but I, you know, even though it's not as impactful as it was before, um, another thing I'm quite looking forward to uh, that I, I really think is going to catch on next year is um, this jump in cell phone technology where they'll start using, uh, I think, 120 hertz refresh rates in their oh, displays. Right. Yeah, I think uh, um, I don't know if it was mentioned before, like the razor phone. Is the first mobile, the first um, uh, mobile phone to do this. Was done before on one of Apple's? I uh, forget which iPad one, the iPads. Yeah. IPad, iPad Pro. iPad Pro. I keep forgetting. I just know it's an iPad. <laughs> uh, but I think it's one of those few things where uh, it'll be, you know, one of those moments where you can put devices side by side and actually see an improvement. I think that's something that I'm also quite looking forward to. In fact, I think that's probably going to be the trend for cell phones next year. Um, These last few years, the you know, when, whenever there's an improvement in cell phones, nine times out of ten, the features aesthetic. You know, it's not not actually functionally better. Um, But 120 megahertz actually ticks both those boxes. It is functionally an improvement and aesthetically better as well. So I think that's something we can expect to see uh, next year. Is there something, you know, like one specific device or gaming title or something that I'm really looking forward to next year? Um, Not necessarily looking forward to, but quite curious about is uh, Hideo Kojima's new game Death Stranding. I am hella curious to know what that even is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, he's such a video game author, who knows what he's coming up with. For all we know, it might even not even be really be a game, um, but I'm quite curious to know what that is. Um, yeah, Hadley, I don't know, what, 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 are your, what, what are you looking forward to?
1: It's like you hit the nail on the head with 120Hz uh, and uh, 4K, cheaper 4K TVs. I mean, um, if I were a smarter man, I would have gone for those options. But um, you know <laughs> on, on my side I'm kind of keen to see the 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 what what happens on the budget smartphone side of things. Um, I'm keen to see those premium features come to, to phones. Like I mean, we haven't. Really, we've. I mean, FNB's phone, the the Connexus X2, which is which seems tentatively to be a good phone. It's based on the ZTE Blade V8 Lite, I think, another ZTE phone. So that comes with a dual camera and um, it's it's probably the only cheap dual camera phone on the market locally. But I'm definitely keen to see like those tall screens and dual cameras on cheaper phones um, next year. And then the other, the other big thing I'm looking forward to seeing, still staying with smartphones, is, you know, maybe we don't see it next year, but um, I'm looking forward to that killer app for having an AI chip on your smartphone. You know, the app, I mean, we've seen a taste of it with Microsoft's translation app on the, uh, the Huawei Mate 10 Pro, but I'm looking for that one app that makes you go, this is why I'm buying a phone with an AI chip, you know.
3: Yeah, that's actually a very good point because I, I, I recall being at the at the Huawei Mate 10 Pro launch and it yeah. was all very nice and whatever, but I, I and I couldn't really see what made the AI the or what is it that Huawei likes to call it the yeah, the neural processing,
1: processing
3: unit. unit yeah so like you know it, it seemed like that was one of those cases where they had a solution and they were looking for a problem uh, that needed <laughs> solving. Um, but yeah, that's a very good point. I'm curious to see what application is actually going
1: to take full advantage there, yeah, of this technology. there was there was one interesting uh, example they used or they used in an interview with with one of the country managers, and he said that uh, in China they there's a third I don't know if it's third party or not, but they said there was a developer that was working on um, essentially an app that transcribes that uses AI uh, you know to transcribe uh, voice uh, voice uh, meeting like meetings essentially. So um, that, I mean, sounds fantastic. And they said they want to expand it globally. So those kind of uh, features are are really crazy. You know, um, that functionality rather is really crazy, but uh, whether it works or not, that we'll we'll have to wait and find out. But uh, the more we can think of those kind of practical or just mind blowing examples, the better. Another thing that actually does occur
3: to me is that, um, is the Tesla Model 3 also not scheduled to launch um, next year? If I'm not mistaken i 'm not sure Anyone? actually. I'm really not I'm sure almost, I, I'm curious to see you know like what the rollout for that will be because th- that is supposed to be the car uh, that takes um, fully electric vehicles to the masses that's supposed to be the entry-level moderately priced uh, vehicle and I'm you know and if you look at the success of the other Tesla cars um, they seem to be doing really really well uh, from what I understand so I'm really keen to see what happens with that one if you know, well, if that car is a success I can promise you um, Mercedes-Benz and Audi and whoever, they are going to bring their, their versions of those cars out um, and I have it on good authority that all of them have a fully electric car, <laughs> not even in development but ready to go yeah. uh, they're just yeah. waiting to see if, if, if the market is ready for it, That that's another one that, that occurs with so that, that should be good
0: Well Zaid Hadley, thank you very much for joining us on the final episode, it's been great to have you both here,
3: thank you so much I really appreciate it uh, yeah, sure. If you if you wanna if you wanna reach uh, me, you can get me on Twitter and at Zaidkriel. It's all one word: Z A I D K R I E L. It's usually just kittens and and, uh, <laughs> and animal pictures, but maybe there'll be some gaming news in there as well. And of course, if you wanna know anything uh, the latest in gaming, so just go to IGN.com uh, and you'll find out everything you need to know there.
1: Sure. On my side, it's um, just uh, you can you guys can visit gearburn.com as well. Um... You know, I'm always delving into the, the, you know, the mobile phone stuff, especially some gaming stuff. Um, and then you can follow us on uh, Twitter at Kirban. Uh Thanks.